Episode 5, Messianic Jews, with Rabbi Michael Skoback. Jews for Jesus is an organization comprised of Jewish people who've come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that the Tanakh prophesied would come. As an organization, we do a variety of things. We host events like Shabbat dinners and high holiday services. We do bar and bat mitzvah training and camp programs. We go out on the street, talk to people, and hand out cold brew coffee. We also give back by cleaning up city parks and partnering with local charities. But most of what we do is sit down with people, study the scriptures, and discuss whether Jesus could be the Jewish Messiah. I was challenged to read the New Testament, and I hadn't really read it. As I was reading it, I found myself um, more and more drawn in to the story of grace. I want to give Jewish people the opportunity to look into Jesus for themselves and decide whether or not they think he's the Messiah, rather than let that decision be made by rabbis 2,000 years ago. Because he's given me so much, I want to be able to give that to others. That's what I do. What you've just been listening to is a video available on YouTube called Understanding Jews for Jesus. Jews for Jesus is one of the largest Messianic Jewish organizations in the world. What's not immediately obvious is whether Jews for Jesus or other Messianic organizations are in fact groups of Jewish people, groups of evangelical Christians, or groups of evangelical Christians who have converted Jewish people to Christianity, or some weird mishmash of Judaism and Christianity. What Messianic Jewish groups are is very controversial within the Jewish community. Many people view them as a threat, many people view them as uh, crazy or delusional, and many people view them as an out-and-out threat to Judaism itself. Here's an ex-member of Jews for Jesus and now the head of Jews for Judaism, Julius Sis, explaining his own journey. A Toronto neighborhood known for its Jewish institutions, schools, businesses, synagogues. The synagogues have always been here, but it's taken Julius Sis a while to find the faith of his ancestors. He spent five years in the Jews for Jesus group before returning to his roots. His faith struggle begins more than 20 years ago. I I fell head over heels uh, uh, in love with a... uh, Christian woman at the uh, college where I was studying, and um, I didn't know she was a Christian at the time. And in our second date, uh, on our second date, I couldn't contain my emotions for her, and I was not too experienced at uh, romantic dialogue, so I started telling her how much I loved her, and stupid move, really, on the second date. But at that time, she warned me, and she said, you know, Julius, I have to tell you, I'm really in love with somebody else. And I was devastated, and I said, who? And she said, Jesus Christ. And I said, whew, no problem, I can handle that. Um, Little did I know I couldn't. And in her quest for a solution, for my salvation, she found out about a a new Hebrew Christian uh, congregation that had started up here in Toronto. Um, It was a congregation that was uh, predominantly made up of Jewish believers in Jesus. And um, I was uh, invited to attend one of their Erev Shabbat services, one of their uh, Sabbath evening services. The pastor up front was wearing a a white skull cap and a white prayer shawl. Um, He was Jewish, at least uh, he was born Jewish. Uh, 
everything about the service seemed so Jewish that I thought, wow, this is amazing. It deceived me into thinking this was kosher, that this was Jewish. And in fact, that was one of the themes of their teaching, that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah and that Christianity is Jewish. And as a result, after a period of about a year attending this particular group, I, I came to the conclusion uh, back in 1976 at their Messianic Rosh Hashanah service, uh, at that point, to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. My experience with uh, the Christian church through their Messianic Jewish form of evangelism brought me to an understanding of the Almighty that I never understood before. It's clear from my experience that there really is a major division within the Protestant church. There are those who are more left and liberal, and there are those that are more right and fundamentalist. And it's those right-wing fundamentalist Christians that I'm referring to, those people that believe that the New Testament is the inerrant word of God, that they believe that the uh, teachings of John, uh, I think it's John 3.16, for God so loved the world that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life, take this teaching very seriously. There's also a teaching in the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 16, that says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first, and then to the Gentile, or the Greek. And this teaching of to the Jew first, as far as I understood it, was a commandment in the New Testament, one of the commandments that was incumbent upon all Christians, that when the opportunity came to preach the gospel, and if they were predisposed to preaching, they should preach to Jews first. If you're confused about Messianic Judaism, well, good news, because I have Rabbi Michael Skobek of Jews for Judaism here to discuss it with me. Welcome, Michael. Thanks. Great to be here with you, Karen. So most people are not familiar with Messianic Judaism, so can you explain the origin of it? Uh, it really goes back probably to the late 1800s in Russia, and then a little bit in England as well. And what you had were... Jewish people who had embraced Christianity, they became Christians, but they were finding that uh, the, the expectation was that they would totally assimilate into a non-Jewish culture. They would have to give up everything about their Jewish identity. And these were people who did not want to do that. They, were, they wanted to somehow uh, feel that even though their faith was in a Christian faith, so to speak, meaning they had embraced Christianity, they did not want to feel that they had to give up their Jewish identity. And so uh, this movement originally became known as Hebrew Christianity. And, uh, you know, it was at that point originally not very sophisticated. Um, you know, they may have uh, just simply wanted to proclaim that I'm a Jew. <laughs> I'm a Jew who believes in Jesus. It did not become a very uh, organized movement. Uh, it was quite small. From Europe, it, it moved over to North America, and it had very, very modest beginnings. The movement was never large at all. It was quite small until approximately the 1960s, where you had the whole cultural revolution in North America and across the world. And you had something called the Jesus Movement, uh, with basically young people uh, across the world, often from the hippie movement, that were finding religion, finding spirituality. And so you had in the 1960s, many Jewish people were drawn into this uh, search for God, and it, it, it landed them in Christianity. And so you had now in the 60s, a large number of young Jews 
who were modern and sophisticated, and they as well wanted to somehow maintain their Jewish identity. Um, that was that's the real, I would say, roots of this movement. He had uh, Jewish people who, uh, even though they had embraced Christian faith, wanted somehow, and it was a struggle to maintain a Jewish identity. What happened, though, at the same time, was that you had uh, simultaneous to this or parallel to this, beginning sort of in the 1950s, the explosion of what we call now evangelical Christianity. You know, in the Protestant world, you had in the early 1900s, and the late 1800s, what you called the fundamentalists. And this was sort of a, a, a neo-Christian movement that was looking to uh, being more conservative and they felt more traditional. Fundamentalists, I'm sorry, uh, basically emerged to a great extent into the evangelical movement in the 1950s and 60s, and it has exploded since then. And this is a movement that is focused, primarily primarily focused on evangelism, obviously, which means sharing their faith, spreading their faith. And they felt that they needed a way into the Jewish world. They felt that the Jewish people were extremely resistant to conversion. They saw that Christianity was spreading widely throughout the entire world to many different ethnic and uh, cultural groups. And they saw that the Jewish people were seemingly impervious to Christianity. And one of the problems is that these groups are driven by what they call an eschatological vision, meaning uh, they are pretty much convinced that the end times are upon them. They believe that uh, the second coming of Jesus is imminent. And one of the problems is that according to many evangelicals, uh, Jesus will not return until the Jewish people accept him. And so there was this pressing need to find a way to reach the Jewish people uh, effectively. And they had seen that for centuries, the Jewish people uh, just simply would not convert. The Jewish people would say, look, I was born a Jew. I'm going to die a Jew. I'm not switching teams. And so they felt that this idea of Hebrew Christianity would be an effective way of reaching Jews. And so what happened was in the 1960s and 70s, different church organizations latched on to this uh, technique uh, as a modality for evangelism, meaning they felt that by presenting the gospel, presenting Christianity in trappings that were Jewish, uh, it would be more palatable to Jewish people. And so that's how the movement basically became quite large because it had now the backing of this massive Christian world behind it. And as they began to convert more and more Jews in the 1960s and 70s, these Jews themselves uh, did not want to assimilate into the uh, Gentile churches. That was the original intention of these church groups, right? They, they saw... Hebrew Christianity as a as a way station, as basically a jumping off point to which they could then bring Jews into the church. And the Jews that uh, ended up embracing Christianity did not feel they wanted to uh, give up their identity and join churches. And so beginning really in the 1970s, you saw the emergence of a messianic 
uh, congregational movement. And so in the 1970s, uh, early 70s, there may have been a handful of what you would call messianic synagogues. And now there are hundreds of them in uh, North America and hundreds throughout other parts of the world. What would you say are the stated goals of Messianic Judaism? Is it to convert Jews to Christianity or is it to extend the evangelical brand? Their websites basically don't tell you. Well, yeah, again, because the, the web websites are there for two reasons. They're there to uh, you know, sell their product, in which case it's a different message than speaking in-house to their supporters. So basically, you have to understand the, the theology of evangelicals. They see the world as divided between those who are saved, those who believe in Jesus and are going to be promised an eternity in heaven, and those who do not believe in Jesus and face an eternity in hell. And what drives them primarily is the sense that they have a obligation, they have an if you want to call it an an ethical obligation to share their faith. Meaning that in the same way, if you saw some person drowning in the ocean, you would probably try to jump in and save them. So they see basically a world that is perishing. They see people that are facing uh, eternal damnation. And so the goal is to save people. This is exactly what evangelical Christianity is all about. The heart of the Christian Bible is a verse which many people have heard from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 16, which says that God loved the world so much that he gave his only son, that he would uh, basically take upon himself the sins of the world, and all who would believe in him would have eternal life, and not basically the opposite of that, which is eternal damnation. Um, so the goal is essentially to to save people, and that is to, by getting them to embrace Jesus. In this situation, do they baptize people in a mikvah? So Christian, um, normative Christian practice is that once a person has uh, accepted Jesus, they seal the deal with baptism. Um, baptism itself is not the essential part of it. The essential part is for the person to embrace in their heart faith in Jesus. And uh, as a sign that this is what happened, as a sign that the person has been reborn, all Christian groups practice baptism of various degrees. Some will go entirely into water, which is usually the practice among evangelicals. And so uh, they, they do basically immerse people in a body of water. It could be in a river, it could be in a lake, it could be in a swimming pool. Um, they generally do not use a mikvah, um, <laughs> although many of the, uh, as we'll probably discuss soon, many of the messianic groups will refer to it as mikvah because uh, it's a euphemistic term. Again, Jews are not really looking forward to getting baptized. For more on this episode, including the rest of the interview, bonus episodes, and bonus material, including production notes, head over to patreon.com forward slash K-A-R-E-N-G-E-I-E-R. You can find On Belief on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And you can visit the website at onbelief.com. <laughs>